Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Obsessed episode 181 is recorded live November 28th, 2013, Turkey Day. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed, and I would say from the recently digesting part of the state of Michigan, I'm Darren Jolson. Joining me this week, we have the dive mentor, Mac. How you doing today, Mac? I'm here. Um, I'm plump. <laughs> uh, I have been well fed, but it's always funny how you want more about an hour afterwards. Oh, yes. It's kind of like you break the seal. You just have a you have a little bit, and then you ha- I have a little bit of everything, and I, I need some more. I just want to go grazing, and you know, there's no more here because that was at my daughter's house up in Grand Rapids, and it's like there's nothing to munch on. I'm in you know, withdrawal already. That that might be a good strategy, is to so not have any to take home. That probably saves a few calories. And then also joining us here on this Thanksgiving in the USA, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just fine. My belly's full, and I can't say much more. I'm just going to hopefully I can stay awake since my belly's so full. Uh, I hear you there. And I want to tell you one thing I am thankful for is all the listeners to the podcast and the fact that we get to go diving. So Woo-hoo. thank you, everybody who's listening. We have just a... Uh, I think we can count Davis too, since he said his his wife's listening. He's driving back from Turkey Day, so hello to him and his beautiful wife. Uh, also, we have probably a few people listening on streaming. I, I don't think it actually shows me those numbers too well, so we'll take it that you're there. Also, thank you to those on WRVO Radio out of Canada who we've recently been picked up on. I know I it's not Thanksgiving. I think they have Thanksgiving a little bit earlier in the year, don't they? Isn't that isn't that their how they do thought, it up there in Canada? I thought those was last week. Yeah, so, something like that. <coughs> and then elsewhere around the world, you know, for for those of you who aren't here, it seems to be getting a little bit crazier every year. The you know, it, I don't know when when did Black Friday start? The day after Thanksgiving, all that shopping that had to have started. I don't remember it as a kid being a big deal or even being called Black Friday, but that that seems to be something in the last you know probably twenty years. Yeah, I don't remember the date. I just remember lately the women seemed to like it. At least yeah. my kids did. Yeah. So it's an excuse to go out in the shop big on Friday. And then Meyer, one of the the retail chains here, it's actually local in Michigan, but it's a nationwide chain in the U.S. They started doing Thanksgiving Day. And then I've seen some that were actually starting yesterday, so Wednesday. So, And I think this year kind of pushes it because we don't have as many days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's our holiday sale season for retailers. But, it's always interesting that the, there's, the number of people you have to buy for has not increased. So increasing the number of sale days doesn't seem to me to will make a difference. You know, you only got X number of dollars to spend on X number of people. really hasn't changed. So why should I suddenly spend spend more money if you stay open longer and give me more sales? Well, from somebody who was once from the the evil side, it really has to do about executing on capturing as many dollars as you can because every day less is the more dollars per day, and the harder and more important it is to restock. So uh, if they 
don't execute it properly and you go there and you can't get what you want, you have to go to another store to get it. So that's why it makes it's it's important to retailers when it gets shorter because they, they tend to believe that they're going to get all your dollars, even though your logic seems to be right. Well, I did find it interesting, though, that you might be able to get things cheaper because Walmart, for example, is matching anything you get on Amazon.com, meaning if you get the same item or can get the same item, they will match prices for Amazon. Now, that's quite substantial when you think about it. Yeah, uh, when yeah. I was with the, the Dark Evil retailer, that was one of the things I was pushing to him was I, is was that and also the uh, the TV networks that were doing the you know the QVC and, and I said that we needed to be in that space. But uh, now they they are going after Amazon, so it's just a matter of time. In fact, that's one of their biggest threats. If in the U.S., Amazon is building a humongous number of, of uh, warehouses, and they're actually offering same day shipping. Well, the other aspect they're doing is now price my um, Price matching, and I think it's for, for two weeks. It could even be a little longer that if you buy from them and then somebody dumps that price down, they will match that, and they will give you the difference back in a shopping card for their services, which is still a pretty good yeah. ploy. Yeah, it makes it worth to keep an eye on something. Well, it's like right now, though, GoPro cameras that skydivers and, oh. and divers and outdoor activity people like, kayakers mm-hmm. and everything, is I saw the um, brand new Black Three on sale for two hundred and forty bucks. Two hundred and forty. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I just paid a hair over that for my silver. That white was one ninety nine on Black Friday sale. Where at? Uh, Walmart, I believe, is where I saw it. The brand new three for that. I'm checking with that, the boss. If that's true, yes. I should I should find my receipt for my other one and turn it back in. Yeah. Yeah, it's GoPro GoPro White. Oh, the white. The white. Okay, the white's the lower alone because you got your white, silver, and you got your black. So, so they're doing to make it a commercial for GoPro, who is not a sponsor, by the way, and they should be. But uh, is that the the color of it actually has to do with the quality or features? Well, like the black, the reason I I'd like to have gotten that one, but at the time I didn't want to spend the extra little shekels, is it's got a, a better low intensity light resolution. Mm-hmm. So for the underwater work, that would have been a nice feature to have had. Uh, I don't use the Wi-Fi capabilities, one, because I'm not technical savvy, actually, because I'm too slow, and I just, just don't get into getting the techie part. But that would be really smart to do, so you wouldn't have to take it out of the case to download your video, Yeah, which yeah, would I help so. minimize the CO leakage. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just need to become more technically proficient and use the technology that's available. That's a scary thought. <laughs> Well, why don't we go ahead and do that as an opening topic before we get into the news. If we get into the news at all, is considering that we have the holidays coming up, what are good gifts for non-divers to get divers? Well, first got to figure out what budget. And generally, that's what I always tell my people who want to get something from me is 50 and under, you can get quite a bit. Gloves, uh, booties, hood. And, you know, gloves and booties, you, you mess around every year. You're going to dive a lot. You're going to get the pinholes. Never mm-hmm. bad to have a good, clean pair of gloves or booties. A gift the new ones is thermals under your suit, uh, wet or dry, is good wool undies. You can usually oh, yeah. get top or the bottom for less than 50. Yeah, well, uh, and, and those will work even if you don't need them for diving. Yes, if you're kayaking. Uh, anytime you got a wetsuit on, you got that under it. It gives you that extra thermal protection. So those things alone every year is nice. Getting a new flag and float, that's oh, yeah. under $50. Even comes with the line. 
gift sure certificates are always good ideas also. Yeah, and Jim, you were saying a gift certificate? Yeah, a gift certificate's always a good idea from the get, from the dive shop because then you can use it for something small, like Mac was talking about, uh, lines and floats or, you know, $50 or buy it an air card. Yes. Or you can put it towards a larger purchase. Uh, yeah, you, you can go and get something a little bit bigger that might be outside the budget of somebody or uh, if somebody doesn't know the exact detail because, you know, for some of us, I mean, I could always use more gloves or boots and I really would not be that picky other than I would like the size that would fit me. But you may have some divers out there who are very particular about brand, and uh, so you may want to opt for that gift certificate. Uh, that's only so, for those divers who have a lot more money than I do. I'll take gifts anytime. Yeah, yeah, you can do it anytime. Doesn't doesn't have to be around the holidays. The air card, again, that was one you brought up, Jim. That's a, I think that you can't go wrong with that. Um, also, a gift that kind of keeps giving back to yourself is if you've got somebody who's interested in diving, uh, you could get them a certification, get them started, then you you get a dive buddy out of it. That's a real good one. Yeah. Getting someone else turned into diving and, and hooked on diving uh, is a great one. Or what you could do is uh, download about 20 episodes of Scuba Obsessed, burn it on a, a CD or a USB key, and give that to them. They don't have to know that you didn't pay for it. I like the idea of training and all, but again, if you're talking $50 or under, I don't think you're going to get a lot of training. No, not, not if you're going to get to $50 or under. But there's some good wreck diving books out there. Chris Cole's book is less than 50 not to mention plugging books or anything, but there's some nice books out there. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, a scuba lifestyle, well, lifestyle, gosh, stuff such as uh, T-shirts, license plates, keychains. Dan? Uh, I oh, can't remember what membership. my yes. What is Dan's subscription this year? Do, do you remember? I renewed mine, but I don't remember what it is. I don't know, but whatever. If you do, Dan, make sure you go with the insurance. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is even with so. even with the insurance, I still think that's in that fifty dollar range, and that that's a good thing that goes with you there. I like that one. Yeah, and for those who don't know what that is, that's a divers alert network, and uh, they they do a lot to help uh, do research into medical complications surrounding diving and then also they have dive accident insurance so let's see join renew i'm on their website which is uh i typed in dan.org which gets you to the divers alert network.org and let's see if i join oh they want all information okay so here it is an individual membership for joining if you haven't done one before it's 35 dollars for an individual or 55 dollars for a family and that gets you a hundred thousand dollars in a medical evacuation insurance Travel Assist Diver Alert Magazine, which the magazine alone uh, could be worth that $35. And then access to the 24 by 7 emergency hotline. So I was going to suggest another item. Uh, if you've got a skill, um, for instance, uh, Jake, one of our club members, recently took some very large nails or spikes and with his uh, machine shop, cut them and put handles on them and welded them and turned them into river spikes for us. Mm. So it's a very, didn't cost him very much at all, but his labor and his expertise at being able to make that is great. Uh, if you're a woodworker, being able to make a tank holder, you know, so the tanks don't roll around in the back of the truck or back of the car. Ah. You know, anyone who can do weaving or works with materials and fabric, uh, you know, covers or bags or... Uh, safety harness. Gear. Yeah, safety harness. That'd be good. Yeah, safety, safety harness, harness for ice diving. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting to that time of year. We need to get those. You know, any any of those special... Blacking carabiners. Talking about custom. ice diving. Blacking carabiners. I got a couple from last year. 
you, you know, that, that might be a, another website for us to do. As one of the, the original ideas that we never did would be the DIY stuff for scuba divers. Yeah, because we do a lot of it. Yeah, we do. Between the, the group, because you get exactly what you want when you do a DIY. Yeah. Brass or stainless steel snap hooks. Ah. Just all different sizes. Uh, and a snap hook to attach items to your gear to hold things in place. Yeah, carabiners. Yes. Retractors. The retractors for your camera and your hoses. Those are nice. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. goodie bag, of course. Oh, I like yeah. the canvas ones. Yeah, dive goodie bag. Those uh, canvas ones are hard to find, too. I think the... Um, <sighs> Rich was the one who. Rich, yeah, Rich has those. Yeah, Rich Sinowick at Divers Incorporated. He, he, that's where we got our last batch of dive bags from. Yep. Yeah, and that had a nice one. That had the one uh, you had that for uh, teeth, where you could you strapped it in between on on your harness to drop the teeth in. That was a nice one. Yeah. Uh, let's see uh, if you if you know somebody has a GoPro, uh, a uh, SD card. Oh yeah. A defog. Defog's always safe. Yeah, battery, extra battery. Flashlights, underwater submersible flashlights. Yes, yeah, those are coming down in price as uh, the technology's improved. Don't know uh, what you're doing, Jim, but occasionally when you're talking, you're fading almost away and then coming back on my end. Yeah, I, I get the same thing as well. Sorry. Uh, let's see what else. There's the. Uh, you know, we came up with a bunch of stuff under fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you can do it. Yeah, brainstorming. Now, if I could get me a nice compass with a lariat or a retractor for under fifty, I'd get one of those too. Yeah. I need I need a new one. Hint, hint, anybody out there who's listening? <laughs> yeah, you can you can send all the gifts to us. I want the type with the thirty degree angle that you can still hold it at and get a good bubble. Uh huh. Makes a difference. Yes. Yeah. The the first. Why is it the first of everything that you buy in scuba diving is not really what you end up wanting? Because you don't have the experience to know the difference of what makes the best for you. But like the uh, compass. I under 30, Mac. Say again? He, he said he thought it was going to be under 30. Is that for, for the compass? compass? Yeah, isn't that what you said? Yeah, he, he wanted a, the good compass were, because the one I've seen, and it's not an endorsement, but is the, the Sunto is the one that I've seen a lot of people do the... Uh, uh, that's the one that I have, and I love it. Yeah, because what's nice about that particular one, and when you get in the dive shop and you got a compass, is take the compass... And first, just see if it works normally with it flat and even. Then tilt it about 30 degrees up and then spin around and see if it still tracks. A lot of them won't. And when you're underwater, that's a hassle to have to keep adjusting that. I like the ones that you also have if you're working on a wreck or something is the slate with the compass integrated into it. Ah, yes. Those are nice. That's another little item, even a slate without the compass. Well, in a slate, you talk about DIY project. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, that's another one that you could do. Yeah, I've thought about doing a slate and then do some like multiple rings, so you could uh, you know just have it you know, have a strap on the slate that went to your forearm, and then have multiple that you could flip over. Do you know how the the good the easiest way to do one of those is take a PVC pipe, mm-hmm. cut it the the length that you want, cut out the middle so you got some elasticity to it, snaps right on your wetsuit. And if you didn't like that, then you just put the slots in it, put some uh, Velcro strap. So you got like half your arm covered, and then mm-hmm. you tighten the strap. It's not going to come off. Yeah. Now that we're talking DIY projects. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll have to do that. We'll have to group together on that. We'll throw up a website just on DIY and put some stuff on there. I think Jim just dropped because I heard a zip zip. Uh oh, did we lose him? I he, he did oh, not here. No, he's still there. Oh. I didn't mean to get you guys sidetracked here. <laughs> no, no. I think that these are good, but uh, yeah. So and then and then one thing is to find out find out what dive shop they want you to get the stuff at. You know, if they like to buy local, 
know, find out what that dive shop is because it's it may be a little uncomfortable if they've if there's two or three dive shops in the area and you just go into one and get the gift certificate and for some reason they don't like the one where you got it at. Uh, so just check. Well, I've had good not to plug anybody, but I've had good luck at both Wolf's down there in Benton Harbor mm-hmm. and Subaquatics in Battle yep. Creek and our buddy up a little further down the road. Our buddy further up down the road? Oh, yeah. What's past Kalamazoo and Battle Creek in that okay. direction? Yep. That was your cue to, to identify who I was talking about. I didn't want to mention everybody. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. You, you you mentioned, you mean Divers Incorporated? Yes. Ah, yeah. yeah. A little bit longer drive for us, but still there. Yep. Another local in the area dive shop. Yeah. If we're, if we're diving around Detroit and stuff, that's a good place. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And we cannot forget our, our buddies that we got our nitrox and stuff from up north. Uh-huh. Who got that brand new boat? Oh boy, we've been I've been following that boat. Yeah, that's uh, you're gonna have to pick that name up. I don't remember who they are. I'm having my senior moment, but it's up there. <laughs> in the, it's in Sheboygan, Michigan. And if you look that up, dive shops in Sheboygan, you will find one of the better ones up there. Yeah, I, I saw that they're they're actually that new dive boat. They're gonna spend some resources and and do a little remodel to it, which I didn't think it looked too bad in the condition it is. Well, I don't think it's conditioning. I think it's outfitting it more than anything else. Yeah, getting it the way you like it. Because it, it does look like it had been a dive boat before. Well, I couldn't tell if it was a brand new one or not. But I just know with those two engines, I'm really curious what the gas consumption is going to be. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. by the same token, it's going to—it's not going to waste any time traveling either. Yeah. Well, they, they were hoping that they were going to get it up. I think they said uh, it runs about 18 knots right now. And they're hoping to get it up to 22 by the time they put a, the correct prop on it. Which 22 is respectable, at least for us down here, 22 would be fine. I know when you get to some of the oceans and you're going out 20, 30 miles, you sometimes want something just a little quicker. But when you're under six, seven miles to your dive destination by boat, uh, 20 is plenty. That's the Northern Michigan Dive Center, duh. You know, and I think it's because it's a des- it's like a location as opposed to some cutesy name. That's why I have a hard time remembering it. I know they got a really nice website, and they are branching out, yeah. like most of the good shops, to doing trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're even going down to Bon Terre Mine, like uh, Wolf says. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be there the same month. No. And I think, Jim, you had a participant there at that uh, showcase thing you went to in Grand Haven that they were at. I think he stepped away for just a second. Ah. I'm back. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and run through the news real quick. going to try and keep it to an hour tonight. I don't know if I can do that or not. That's kind of been the goal now that we're on radio, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I, th- I think I think we can do it. So the first article in Scuba in the News is we have a high-diving granddad celebrates his 90th birthday with a scuba dive. To 90 feet, too. That's what got me. Yeah. I'm getting leery as I get a little older, but uh, 90 for 90 is not too bad. No. No. Let's see. That was Ray Woolery. Oh, come on. Pop-ups on these websites are driving me nuts. Uh, a great grandfather six originally from Port Sunlight, but now living in uh, Tyconus near Limassol. What in the world? Oh, it's in the UK. Oh, you I keep think. getting those tongue twisters, don't you? Well, they're not even. I mean, that's beyond the tongue twister. And that's UK. They speak English. Why? Why is what's up with this name? Is that Wales? I mean, Wales, I can understand, but okay. Anyway, uh, okay, and it goes into some details about uh, some of the dives he's done. He retired to Cyprus in 1999 and resumed his uh, association with a dive club. He he says, uh, recalling his 90 
90th birthday at 90 feet. After all these years, I just thought I'd take the opportunity to do something underwater to celebrate getting to the age of 90. Going to 90 feet was a better option than doing 90 meters, which is much deeper. <laughs> yeah, see, when you're young, you got to, yeah. I mean, if you're 40 and you're doing 40 meters, yeah, you can get by with that, but that's going to be a hard one to maintain. Yeah. Uh, Dave Turner said, photographs were taken array, and the other members in, in one of the remaining lifeboats standing beside the top propeller at 30.5 meters. That's a little over the required 27.42 meters or 90 feet, but still within his capabilities. So the first time Ray dove the Zeniba was within a year of its sinking when he found the ship and its cargo of lorries and goods to be in good condition. 33 years on that wreck and the lorries and remaining cargo have deteriorated quite badly, but the same cannot be said about Ray. So I wonder if next year he'll do uh, 91 at 91. I mean, why stop now? Uh, he could always do inverse on the depth, though. How's that? Well, as you get older, you make it shallower, so it's a little safer. <laughs> that would be safer. What, going shallower? Yeah, would this, going shallower would be safer. And then we go from, uh, how do you call them, an advanced-aged diver to one a, a tiny bit younger. Again, from the U.K., a British schoolgirl has become the youngest junior master scuba diver in the world. Charlotte Burns, 12, from Brigham Hill. See, I could say that one. And Kent comes from a family of divers and has been exploring the oceans for the past two years. She began diving at the age of 10, which was legal to do so, and has so far completed more than 70 divers. Dives. Completed divers. 70 dives. Brother Will, 26, was the previous young, youngest Patty uh, junior master diver in the world. He completed his course when he was 14 years old but it's taken his sister just 16 months to, punch, to pinch the title from him. When people look at her, they cannot believe it. She's been described as phenomenal, and I hope by reading her story, people will be inspired by her. Charlotte always mothers her mother when they dive together, keeping her safe. And they said, ironically, uh, Charlotte learned her skills from the oldest one of the oldest divers in the world, Ray Woolery. Was that who we were just talking about? No. Yes, it is. Oh, wow. And, and the article wasn't even from the same paper. So not only did he dive 90 on 90, he, he introduced somebody else. I still have my reservations about that. Oh, of diving so young? The emotional, the, the, the abilities to cope with emergencies at that young age. I, I know you always have to look at the individual because everybody's unique and she might be that one in a million. Mm -hmm. But there's so many people who appear to have capabilities in excess of their years. But when it hits the fan... Sometime that maturity of their focus and their analytical skills of response are not the same as an adult or one who is chronologically older. Yeah, not a hundred percent, but still. Yeah, I'm I'm in favor favor of keeping them shallower. You know, reducing the risk. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think there's really any harm of uh, starting to develop some of the motor skills. But, uh, like, I would not have her doing the, the types of dives that we do and the conditions that we do. I, it, I'm sure you can handle a lot because we have had people who have had their children at that age dive and are very proficient. But I'm not sure I would want to have an instructor who is responsible for, basically, if you have a student who has an issue, you have to rescue them. I'm also skeptical that the physical conditioning of a 12-year-old individual would be capable of performing rescues, perhaps. Yeah, and I agree with you there. There's a lot of uh, judgment that has to be involved that's beyond just the, the, the diving. 
Um, and I don't know what it what it takes to be a diving junior master. I don't know if that's actually a an instructional rating, but still uh, good for her in being able to achieve that. Now Costa Rica has a new type of uh, I, I hate to even call it it's not scuba diving, but type of diving. You got snuba coming in there. So what they've done is they've got their first snuba operation going, which allows people to dive without certification a depth of 20 to 30 feet with divers tethered to service with a breathing hose. So is that kind of like a... It's a hookah. It's a, it's a hookah, but is it? are they using tanks instead of a, a compressor up there? I really haven't looked, but it doesn't really make a difference, tank or compressor. Yeah, because you're, you're still able, you're delivering the air down. Well, what made me think that is if you look at the very end that they talk about, they say all the uh, Snuba Costa Rica's dives, um, they have a one-tank Snuba is $95 per person, and a two-tank dive is 135 per person. So I think if they're talking about tanks like that, it, to me, indicates that they're, they're floating tanks on the surface. I would like to know, I mean, you don't have to be certified, but hopefully they're getting some sort of training. Because even at 20 feet down, you've got plenty that can go wrong. Well, we always know that last 10 feet is what will kill you. Well, that's the toughest. I'd much rather be at 60 feet than at 20. Again, if you panic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the, the, the way air moves and volume, that's, you said that, that last 10 feet. You know, if you hold your breath, you could have all sorts of problems. And the the accident, or at least the what does somebody in, might not be the first time they come up on snuba and they, they held their breath, but then they get some sort of damage and then they go back down and that's when things will, could get really bad. So I, I disagree with some of their statements in there. Do you take a look at the one? Divers do not exceed one bar pressure, making the sport about as safe as walking on land. Ain't correct. No. Well, this is a, you had to look at this as it's a marketing piece for probably somebody who advertises with this newspaper. If you can snorkel, you can snuba, which I do believe that's true because I think it's probably actually a little bit easier to snuba than it is to snorkel. But I wouldn't say that there's less risk. They said, like, you're, not taking could, a, you're not taking a breath at depth when you snorkel. Right. That's where the issue comes. Yeah. What they're, what they're saying, and I'd like to be able to validate this. In the 20 years since its invention, snuba divers have never reported a serious dive-related injury. The depth limits of snuba eliminate the most dangerous risks associated with diving, like decompression, sickness, and lung expansion. So they're saying that you can't have a lung expansion injury from 20 feet to the surface? Wrong. Yeah, I, I think that is wrong. You can embolize in less than 10 feet, depend on your lung structure, and if you have any issues to begin with. And if you do that from 30 feet, you take a full breath, how much does your lung expand? Double. Yeah. I was just checking Dan records to see what their injury rate for hookah slash that is called. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have any. It seems to be a non-reportable item. Well, and then the one thing that I think they're doing, they're playing around with the terminology. They're calling this snuba, which, because I know there's injuries on hookah because we covered it a few weeks ago, which is it's what some of the, uh, uh, you know, they're harvesting you know, uh, sponges and clams and other critters underwater. I was just looking at that same one. Those guys are working down to 100 feet with that. Yeah. Which, you know, doubles and triples their their issues. Yeah. But still, I'd like to see 
some definitive information on if there have been accidents. Because I can't believe what they say in 20 years, they haven't had any serious injuries. Yeah. It'd be nice to think that. Yeah. I've never really heard of that, either hookah or otherwise, being used in anything but relatively warm water with good visibility. Have you? The snuba? No. Yeah, or hookah even. Yeah. Well, hookah, I mean, you you use hookah. Well, yeah. But <laughs> I, not, I would not call you uh, uh, having great visibility when you're doing that. No, but I've had a little more training to just putting you down on the end of a hose, too. Oh, oh certainly. Yeah, as far as uh, an operation who's putting people in. Because just because you're not required to have some sort of training, it doesn't mean that you don't. You, it's smart to have people go down and have problems. So, like I, I saw Snuba when we were in Mexico. I think it was Shellha. Is that it? That, that, I think that was the place. And the water was so clear. We were standing on a footbridge, and you could see people down in the bottom on the rigs, and you could see everybody who was doing it all at once from one spot. So it's more of a life save, a life. Like if you're a lifeguard on the surface, you could probably watch them right from there and know if anything's going bad or not. Uh, so, yeah, I think I agree with you that the, the visibility in, in many of these operations is, is pretty good, which also increases their, because I'm, I'm sure the fact you don't have to be certified also means that they're not required to follow the PADI or NAWI requirements for instructor-to-student ratios. So if you, if you look at this, where people are renting the tank, you know, $95 for one tank, I mean, how... I wonder if those are 40s, because anything bigger than the 40 and 20 feet of water, you could go for, well, but, but they're going to be huffing and puffing, not being experienced. Well, you can limit your depth by limiting the length of the hose. Well, yeah, you, you're not pulling that down. I tried to go to that uh, the website of that operator, and it's saying page not found. Oh, that's because they built the link wrong. Here we, here we go. Ocean Navigator has some information on hookah safety. I'm taking a look at that real quick. So, uh, but kind of in a bigger picture, is this helpful for scuba diving? I mean, say that the, what they say, everything is true, that's safe. Is this getting us more scuba divers or less? I know when I was younger, if I could do something cheaper than $90 and I could use the hookah, I would have done it. Actually, I did do it with a bicycle pump. So, yeah, I think it, it, it could be good, but I, I can't believe you don't. You got to have some training. Yeah, just keep going through there. It says a two-dive scuba boat tour. Although they're calling it dives, not tanks here. Huh. Oh, well, in this in this photo, if you go to the uh, their website, in this photo you can see the rig that they've got set up, and it's kind of like a tank between two pool noodles. Let me see. Maybe there's some better photos in the gallery. Looks bigger than a 40, though. Bigger than a 40? You got a 50 cube? Yeah, or maybe it, man, you know, you kind of like the... We lose you? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Drop oh, okay. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm, I'm looking at some articles where people have died with a hookah rig. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're claiming that uh, snuba is not hookah. So I have an idea they're playing around the depth, and I, it's probably also a like a franchised type of item. It's interesting. Uh, the articles on uh, diver safety with hookah slash that other uh, was initially concerned with the quality of the air based on the compressor that was providing the air to minimize the issue of monoxide and contaminants in the air based on poor compressor maintenance, they were saying using scuba bottles of air is safer from that aspect. And that was one of the major issues with non-commercial or commercial zones in places that did not maintain their equipment was they actually poisoned their, their participant. So using the tank from a reputable 
fill station would minimize that issue. This is this is the Miami Times, nineteen or two thousand nine. They had six deaths in Florida alone from hookah slash whatever. But that was from the the rigs that were uh, had the compressor. Didn't say that. It just said using that kind of gear. Didn't say the reason. Yeah, and that and that's really has to do with the where we've heard the horror stories on that is the maintenance. Yeah, people decide that they can swap out compressors or pieces or parts and that works the same and they end up compressing you know, hydrocarbons and stuff. Well, while we're down there in Costa Rica, they have, they're saying that jellyfish may have caused sea turtle deaths after telling a death count of 90 marine turtle car- uh, carcasses on the beach off of Costa Rica. Investigators and conservation officials believe high levels of toxicity caused by jellyfish may be the blame for the grizzly deaths. The sea turtle massacre has been reported across the Pacific coast of Central America. Uh, it said it was spotted by fishermen and then later surfers, swimmers, and beachcombers. And the quote is, dead sea turtles were spotted in the vicinity of the islands, which are part of the small archipelago located in Santa Rosa National Park. Uh, scuba divers routinely visited dive operations in uh, Playa, Playa del Coco. Early field necropsies indicate that these turtles, which were tagged near Galapagos Archipelago, have run into nets and fishing hooks. They also present signs of concussion near their skulls. Still, researchers are conducting pathological analysis to rule out toxicity. Also present the signs of concussions near their skulls. Well, why would concussions have to do with... Huh? Oh, if you use dynamite to fish with, because in some countries it's not unusual to go oh. fishing with dynamite and net them. The other one is uh, there was some concern by environmentalists of high-powered sonar will also kill animals like okay. that. Uh, did you read the rest of it where they were talking about toxins in the in the water and the, the stain that was identified by a Coast Guard uh, aircraft in the same vicinity? No. Uh, that's also in one of the part of the article there. That was interesting uh, because they're finding dead zones. Obviously, we have a couple of dead zones in uh, Lake Michigan now. They've got quite a few of them in Lake Erie due to different algaes and stuff that are becoming toxic. And they were talking about this is the same thing in the ocean in that area where they found some of the turtles. Ah. Because they found a lot of the, uh, the, the stinging devices or a lot of those that they were dead also. Ah, okay. Well, it looks like we're running short on time, so we'll jump ahead, uh, skip a few of those. So uh, you can always go to our website. I've been keeping up in the show notes. I think I'm, I'm three for three now. Uh, so some of them that we're going to jump over is divers don't let uh, gray nurse sharks get a good day's sleep. And it's that article's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, they're talking about uh, that mostly just the way sharks uh, rest and that there could be conditions in which divers could prevent them from getting sleep. But then in the same article, they said it doesn't really matter because the divers aren't bothering them and it's uh, not a high enough density where it would be a problem because divers only uh, dive in small uh, focused areas. Uh, Olympic flame was carried underwater in the world's deepest ocean. That would be over in Russia. Uh, they took the flame underwater, and then they went and used one of those jet rigs and flew out outside of the water. Uh, but the one article I did want to cover is the Love's Park Scuba adding alcohol to their items they sell. And one of the reasons they're doing that is because you need to sell alcohol to be able to get a slot machine. This is over in Illinois. So how this works is you get your liquor license, and then you go and you get your gaming license. So, so far, in the in since we originally covered this story, if you follow us on Scoop It, uh, you can see it as a broke. And they have since gotten their initial approval 
because I think what the initial approval was is that they had to be recommended. So they're being, or at least the paperwork forwarded on, it could be stopped. So there's plenty of spots to, to stop it. They said the law is designed to put the onus on the municipality's liquor board to decide which establishments to license. So they have since passed that hurdle. Uh, in the particular area where they're at, they said there's $636,000 in October alone and more than $5.1 million since terminals went live in 2012. So that's in the municipality. So the dive shop just wants a little share of that, of gaming. But it sounds like they are going to actually, they're not just using the liquor licenses as a way of getting the slot machines. They're actually going to have a genuine bar in there, which I think is cool. You know, I wouldn't mind visiting a dive shop. You, know, you get get some air and have a drink and you know, swap some stories. And then go diving? Well, no, I wouldn't go diving after that. You could always I, practice for your martinis law and you drink and get used to it on the surface, right? Yeah, surface narcosis training, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't go diving after I've been drinking. That's now at least not the same day. I mean, it could be I went drinking the night before and then you get up. But you got to make sure you hydrate. I mean, that's one of the biggest things you, uh, you got to be careful for. Uh, but no, I, 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 the, the thing is, I rarely go diving after I visit the dive shop. I don't, I, in fact, I can't remember a time maybe once or twice, which it's, I had to run in to get air for a dive I was going to do in an hour or so. But other than that, I can't remember dropping a dive shop and then going diving later on. That's probably just me and my habits. And then we got a photo of the week. This one kind of got picked up virally and it was kind of unintentional. The, it was a sheriff's department photo. They intended to throw the photo out there just to uh, create some awareness of some of the training they're going through. But uh, people picked it up thinking that it was actual uh, an event going on, that they were doing a felony stop underwater, and it was a practice. They said even though they don't expect to do it in the sheriff's department, this one was from Orange County Sheriff's Department. Uh, the photo was taken at 30 feet of water off Ladder Rock south of Newport Harbor, shows Orange County Sheriff's Department dive team members pointing at what appears to be a gun at two other divers who have their hands in the air. The photo was posted Monday morning, but actually dates back to about six years ago. What you see in the photo is what was actually a training done by our dive team. Potentially this could happen, but I don't think the dive team would be pointing guns at underwater at anyone. Typically the dive team does is recover evidence and weapons that are thrown in the water. The photo was of a felony dive stop, but he said there's no such thing in the official, as an official dive stop. He posted this more of a public relations photo. The whole underwater dive stop with a gun is a little far-fetched. It was more fun during the dive team training. Training or not, the photo racked up tons of comments. How is that a publicity coup other than, unless it's any publicity is good publicity? Well, I think they just, they, they knew that people would share it. They gave them, yeah, I guess so. I mean, they had the opportunity. I mean, it really wasn't anything bad going on. And if you're doing, if you're doing a photo of a felony stop or training, the, the thing is, it's incredibly unlikely, I mean, James Bondish, to go jump in the water to go after other divers and then hold them up. For one thing, how would they know that you're even there? Well, in the Caribbean, you could probably see them, and they'd have some special suit with a badge that would probably flash. <laughs> and if he wants to have that pistol there, great, as long as I got a spear gun. I think he's going to come off on the short end. Yeah, the spear gun will have a little bit more penetration than a, a pistol underwater. And accuracy. But an interesting photo nonetheless. So that does it for Scuba in the News. Now, Mac, uh, well, we haven't had a chance to talk about any dives recently. Did you get a? Uh, have you had a dive in in the last couple of weeks? 
Well, the last couple of weeks, yes, but not last weekend because I was down in the not-so-sunny south, down in Georgia. But it wasn't sunny either? Well, coming back, I stopped over in Corbin, Kentucky, and I woke up in the morning and brushed the snow off my car to get my coat out because it was 22 freaking degrees. They're supposed to be warmer than we are. Yeah, they were. And then the Smoky Mountains the day before, the altitude of 5,000 feet, I had my coat on, my hood on, my hoodie on, my gloves on, and it was freaking cold up there with the wind blowing about 30 miles an hour. Mm. Pretty scenery, though. I did put put pictures out. Yeah, those are pretty. Very nice view. So the the dive the the week before, how'd that go? Got to go back and remember. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to remember with us, you can go to the Mud Club site. That's mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Which is which is probably. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darren. What I was going to say is that's probably where Max going right now to refresh his memory. Well, I didn't update that one. I don't think. That's the one you and Kevin did on. uh, That's right down in the river. Storm. Yeah, and Mary Beth came down. Oh, yeah, yeah that was in the storm. Thing. That was when I lost power. Yes, for what, days on end? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I, yeah, I lost power for till it was late Wednesday when it came back on. But the river was still nice. Um, Even with all that rain? Visibility, tons of fish, did get bottles. Uh, we didn't stay down long because he did rip the seal on his uh, wrist. And uh, as he was taking on water, I decided, okay, we had enough fun, and before you froze to death, let's get out, and we did. But he enjoyed them, and uh, we spent almost three hours at the uh, restaurant BSing and telling <laughs> tall da- tales of diving, too, which you know how we get carried away. Oh, oh, certainly. So they didn't kick you out? Uh, we kept buying stuff, so we a little ah, bit. Anyway, so, so. so you learned, because I think our time, well, the, the thing is they took the, the receipt the time that we went, Right away, so there really was an opportunity to buy more. I guess we could have opened another tab, moved to a new table. Yeah, and we did tip good when we left because we were there a little excessively. <laughs> but we, we had fun. Uh, and talking diving, I got uh, Larry's doing a river check tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow? In the Niles area. Okay. And uh, I'll be doing the river check tomorrow for St. Joe. Okay. And I'll make a decision and put it on the net tomorrow night of where we're going to be diving for the turkey dive. Well, looking forward to that because I am planning on going. I've got my dry suit. I'm fluffing it up and getting it all ready. I don't know how much well, fluffing I, I can do. I'm torn between the aspect we, we know most of us have dove the uh, Fisherman's Park there in Benton Harbor. Uh-huh. The disadvantage is the visibility is going to suck there. Uh, yes. You've got more rebar and rocks to the uninitiated, even though I don't consider us uninitiated. I don't know who the new people might show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to go out there and check that uh, new dredging out because when Jim yeah. and I were out there with the boat, uh, and I flew over it a couple of weeks ago looking, and you can see where they've done that little tunnel uh-huh. or dug a, a, a group out. I'd like to see the bottom, and maybe they've uncovered bottles we haven't seen Ooh, in a while. I know. And yeah. by the same token, though, I wouldn't mind going over to Whirlpool Marine Basin there. That's where I found that last clay pipe, and it's shallower, but it would be safer. And it'd be out of the current if you stayed in the shallows before you got to the slope. So it's, it's I'm torn. And again, in Niles, we've still got viz, got a little current. So it's like, God, which is the best? So we'll make a decision tomorrow. Okay. Well, that'll, that'll be good. Now, do we don't have any line on who's going to be coming? Well, um, I believe Mr. Schultz is going to be there. You're going to be there. I will be there. Uh, Larry, Sir Larry will be there. I haven't heard from Ken. Uh, so I know the normal four. I believe uh, Sweeney's going to be there. He's got. He's going to do a leak check on his suit. 
his new suit with his new gloves. I'm I sure Mary Beth will be there. I don't know if she'll be getting wet, but I'm sure she'll be there. Wouldn't surprise me. Well, it'd be nice to, to if we could pick up a couple new divers or newer divers to get them to come and do the turkey dive. Yeah, I don't think Kevin would be there because the suit has still got a rip. Uh, yeah, if it's just in the seal and the rip seal, we can duct tape that. <laughs> Actually, I found a DYI to help minimize that if that happens on a dive. Now, how do you? What, what's the trick? The elastic bands that I got for physical therapy is the uh-huh. same latex material as in your wrist seal. So I've got one. I took it apart. If you cut it in half and make a two-foot-long part, if you've got anything left of your cuff, you bring it out, you wrap it with that, put one layer of hypoallergenic medical tape on it, you know, like you have for cuts, works fine. You put your, your sleeve cuff over it, you're going to be able to continue your dive. If you wrecked your knee, your uh, neck seal, I would bet you dollars you could do that with that also. Hmm. It's like, duh, I got home and figured that out, so I'm going to put a roll in my kit. So if somebody has an issue, they got a second chance maybe. Hmm. That's good. Don't know why we didn't think of that before. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So that's the three spots. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, the, the bottle, sound, the, the new dredging sounds interesting. That would be... I know. It's like that's what's sort of appealing to me. But again, if I knew all who was coming and their their level of comfort in that kind of water. Now, now, where is the dredging exactly? Is that to the concrete plant? Jim, when I, you, you know, I think you, did you know the guy doing the dredging? Was that? No, they dredged from the St. Joe City launch all the way down the river to, I'm going to say at least to the bridge. Okay. Created, a, you know, opened up the channel that was there, or that should be there. Okay. You know, Mac. Another thing we may want to do, if uh, when we get done the dive, is go over to where they were offloading all that dredge tailings. And now that we've had a little rain, uh, hopefully, I don't know how much snow there is down there, but uh, there may be some good metal detecting and bottle finding in those uh, dredge tailings. Now, when you say dredge tailings, did they they put that up on land? Yeah, they were dewatering it up on land. Huh, I didn't think that they did that. Well, what they did was they actually used a uh, backhoe, uh-huh. uh, hauled it up with a backhoe and put it on... Uh, dumpsters. Big dumpsters on barges, and then they would take and backhoe it off the bar- off the dumpsters onto the, the ground as backfill. Really? That's kind of a new approach, because I, I know they've always been real sensitive to... Anything that's done as dredging, treating it as hazardous material. I would love to see the paperwork on that now that you mention it, especially with the new um, area over there. They put the, the piling in and then they dug it out Yeah. for the new docking. I'd love to have seen the paperwork for the environmental study for that since that was contaminated ground. Yeah, yeah, that's all. I mean, that's, uh, that's early industrial sites. Yep. So Osco they, and Whirlpool were out there. Yeah, I think that kind of goes on to how good your attorneys are and how good was your engineering company get that coming up with the answer that you wanted to have. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, of because, course, I'm sure it was all upfront legal oh, and everything. Of course, of course. Because you think about it, I mean, if I was them, I would have been pitching that, well, that's where the material was to begin with. So I'm just putting, I'm just changing its orientation. Actually, I'm going to cap it and cover it. So that'll be less likely for any potential contaminants to be introduced. Right now, it's in the river. We're just we're just moving it. We're going to seal it right there at the same location. David in the chat room is saying, 
you know, don't don't forget your your dive shops if you have a leak. They said that they can uh, tape and fix a seal in less than ten minutes. Depends mm-hmm. on the dive shop. Yeah, that's true. And how busy they are. You can't go in and expect a, a dive shop to be able to do it. But I think he's referring to how long it actually you can do it uh, if when you're pressed for time. But yeah, the paperwork on on that dredging that would have to be uh, quite entertaining to see how that went. Now, I'm shouldn't that curious. be? Can't you do a freedom of information on that? Now that you say that, well, because I'm, I'm thinking, just curious how they knew what was in the area they were clamshelling out, basically. Or, well, I think there's stuff to be learned. You know, we're trying to figure out how to work our way through these these legal paperwork. It may be worth the investment in the because what they nail you on on the freedom of information is copying fees which can be hundreds of dollars by the time you're done. But uh, that would, I mean, because the thing is with that is that you you've kind of have a precedence. So you can go and look and see what they did. You could massage it a little bit to fit whatever dredging project you had. And then if it got denied, you could go, well, hey, wait a minute. How did this get approved and this not? Yeah, I'm just curious what archaeologists they used for their surveys. Yeah. Well, I think River has a little bit different criteria, doesn't it, for archaeology? I don't know. Depending on who you want to talk to. Well, yeah, I was I was boring my dad today at Thanksgiving dinner complaining about the archaeologist. So, you know, he was kind of rolling his eyes at me. But <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, who you been talking to? Is that Mac? No, he didn't say that. But but uh, my my you know our philosophy we've talked about is like, you know, if 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 you're the archaeologist in the project, then everything's fine. But if there isn't one, then that's what the problem is. I was looking up some stats on shipwrecks, for example, after that last survey I talked about at the dive club meeting. Did you realize there are 50,000 shipwrecks in the world a year? That sink a year? A year. 50,000 you know, worldwide. I had That's heard a conservative of, number. And I had heard that number. And that is just astounding when you can, because I could have believed that one point in time, you know, like say go 1920s, I would mm-hmm. have believed that. But today, yep. but if you follow G Captain, that website, I am amazed in the course of a week how many, and these aren't small ships. These are 20 to $100 million ships that are sinking each week. And I'm sure Lloyd's of London has all that sort of numbers because they, they need those actuarial tables for insurance because right. pretty much if you're not being insured by them, then you're not getting insurance and you're not carrying cargo. Yeah, unless it's an unsecured cargo from South America someplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're if you're if you're not getting insurance and the people aren't going to kill you if they lose their product, then yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Isn't that amazing? Fifty thousand. I know the world's big. So the density of it is not probably all that significant, but that yeah, is a lot. Yeah, and from the aspect that everything belongs to the state slash whatever, and they're all of archaeological value, excuse me, but I find that <laughs> hard to believe. Well, the, you're going to learn what somebody ate last week if you can. Well, that's important according to archaeologists. But again, I digress, and I'm a Cromungeon anyway, so cranky old guy that needs to be one of our segment cranky old guy segment you're gonna talk about the turtle bot yeah let's talk about the turtle bot we got a few minutes here so let's see the adorable turtle bot will help underwater archaeologists (laughs) is that kind of like a furby keeping with our thanksgiving theme well actually this goes pretty good as reference material because remember we're going to start up a committee 
Oh, you weren't at the last dive meeting. No, I missed the last dive meeting. Can you fill me in on oh. that? Because uh, uh, I was, I, I was, I think I was trying to locate a generator at that point and cleaning yeah. out my refrigerator. Uh, we're gonna have a committee on underwater oh, for for building a underwater device for uh, observation and possible recovery. Awesome! That is great. Uh, I think Jim came up talking about that, so we decided the committee would be the way to go. Oh, sir. Those of like minds can gather and pool their information and resources. And Bob volunteered since he has wonderful machinery that he would be able to help fabricate as long as the cost was uh, shared by many. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with him there. It needs to be. Well, and I, I think even if we don't use the design of the Open ROV project, I like their approach of modularity where people have different uh, bits and pieces that they're their work. Well, what we also decided, well, we, we discussed uh, with the committee is the opportunity to, um, if we have the committee and establish something, to find out who in the area would be interested in working with the committee in development and fabrication and testing of such an item. And um, since robotics is a big one in the local schools mm-hmm. and they've been having robot wars, the next step would be, hey, your guys want to do something really good, excuse me, and educational, is let's work on a shipwreck and let's devise your own robot to go down and eyeball. Well, the thing that happens with that is my daughter, her freshman year in high school, is in the math and science center over here at the university with about 30 other students from the Cass and Berrien County. And that is one of their classes, computer science, that they're taking. So they have, uh, you know, laser etchers and different pieces of equipment. And I do not think it'd be tough to convince that program to do one of these. There's there's quite a few schools, St. Joe, Lakeshore, that one. And I went over to that, uh, I went to that one program they put on there at Lake Michigan College over at Bertrand Crossing. Mm-hmm. And one of the participants there was one of the instructors, and he showed me their 3D machine for development of 3D yep. objects. Yep. Freaking amazing. Yeah. And if you were to devise and draw out your robot, all its parts and pieces, you can actually fabricate that in that darn machine. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, my, at my daughter's school. They got one of those as well. So what I think we probably need to do is do, like, you know, for, well, and this is really stuff for the committee, not for the podcast, but, you know, my recommendation would be we do as a club a prototype and then, you know, really for the cost of a trophy, you could have a competition and we could pick a date and say, you know, March 2015, you know, schools are eligible to apply and, you know, the one that does the best at these four tasks will win the trophy. And their tryouts would be real time in the real world on the lake under real conditions, not a pool. That way you also get more feedback and you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It yeah, could I, be interesting. I, I think whoever's on the committee has lots of avenues that we don't normally have. The, the question also came up is how do we do that via club? And one of the aspects we would have associate, not necessarily members, but you would not have to be a club member to participate in the committee. Oh, okay. That also opens the door for new divers. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think you have different levels of membership, and we've talked about that before. Now, in really local club news, uh, who are the officers this year? <laughs> our new president is Mary Beth. Oh, awesome. Uh, Mr. Richard Curtis is our new VP. Great. Uh, Rick Pling is continuing to be our treasurer. Okay. And since I have some time off, finally, I'm continuing with the newsletter and uh, site club site web update. Great. So we should have an entertaining year. Uh, Mr. Curtis, by the way, just retired the day before the last club meeting. He's heading off to Florida to buy him a sailboat. <laughs> you know, I heard him talk about that, and I was wondering if he was going to. I, I, and I, he's saying that, but if I understand, his wife doesn't like the water, does she? Well, there's some interesting stuff that we won't go on over the news okay, here. But yeah. He is also going on an African safari. Okay. And then he's going to spend some time in France. So he, he may be VP, but he may be absent a few times in the next <laughs> couple of months. He's actually going to start this unemployed, retired thing off of the bang. Wish I could, uh, you know, tag along on some of his uh, planned escapades. Jeez, all these, these recently minted retired people. <laughs> yeah, like somebody else we know, huh? Yeah, yeah. How's, how's that all work? And then we've got other people who are, who are planning on becoming future retired people. Yeah, that's right. We got one more hope maybe this year. Yeah. Maybe next year we'll have a lot more diving. Yeah. I'll, I'll be even more jealous of all you retired guys diving. Geriatric divers, here we come. <laughs> I got to think of a new, uh, you know how we got our club logo. I got to think of a logo for us geriatric people. I'm thinking uh, a, a, a scuba diver with a walker. Don't need I, it. I was thinking more with uh, one of those. Diver propulsion vehicles, not quite like a wheelchair, but where we can sit in it <laughs> and have the tank on the back so it's off our backs. Well, how about a submarine? Oh, hell yes for that, but. <laughs> it doesn't make for a great T-shirt, but it sure would be cool. Yeah, we'd just leave the tanks on the sub and use our hookah hose or <laughs> yeah. scuba, whatever they want to call it, so we have all that weight off our backs and make it lighter for us. Mm-hmm. So if we have any rich millionaire people out there that want to have some disposable income, uh the Mud Club is always available to help you spend that money, mm -hmm. and we would love to uh, try some new DIY products out there or DIY do it ourselves. Yeah, I think I, I'm off for like the next three days, so I think I maybe have some little mini projects to work on. So that's the major item, and after that, then we got the New Year's dive coming up. So New Year, so and New like, Year's Eve dive. Right. Do we have a location for that yet? Uh, that'd be Barren Lake. Okay. Uh, we'll be operating out of a guy's garage, so at least we can bring our heaters and be relatively comfortable. Yeah, and I and I yeah. asked my I asked my daughter, and it's still going to be her birthday this year, so just like last year, darn it. Yeah, but then you can dive the next day. Uh, we'll probably do the SAS dive. More than likely, that'll be at Gull Lake. We'll have more details on that coming up on the date. Okay, cool. Well, are we ready for that time of the show? Oh, ever ready. Mm -hmm. Okay, this one is going to be bad. And I think it kind of fits in with the, the, some of the subtopic we've had tonight. So here we go. An elderly scuba diver, well-dressed, flower in his lapel, walks into a cocktail lounge. A young woman is seated at the bar. He walks over, sits down beside her, orders a drink, and says, So tell me, do I come here often? <laughs> You've been following me around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, Jim. Squirrel. I don't remember. I can't tell you. So. 
Okay, that's got to be better than the one we had last time. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> Moderately better. So, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And stay away from bars that you can't remember if you've been into or not. <laughs> <laughs>